0: How many of you have seen The Born Identity? movie about a guy named Jason Bourne. Dave wants me to know that he's seen it five times. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, Jason, the movie Born Identity is about a, a man named Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon. Uh, and it's one of my favorite movies. It's one of those that just keeps your intrigue going. Even after you've seen it one time, you, you want to see it again. But early on the, in, in the movie... He realize that Jason Bourne doesn't know anything about himself. Something happened in his past uh, that gave him complete memory loss. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know where he's from. He has no memory of what happened in his previous life before he woke up. Turns out, he's just a great kind of super agent that works for the government, and he has all these Awesome fighting abilities. But early on in the movie, he walks into a bank, and as he walks in, the bankers all recognize him, the security guards recognize him, and they lead him to a lockbox that is his. And he he goes behind this uh, screen, and he opens up his lockbox, and there's a gun, cash, and all of these different passports. And so he opens a passport, hoping that uh, he can find out who he is, what his identity is. But all of the passports has his picture in it. And each of the passports has a different name. And each of the passports come from a different country. And so he still doesn't know who he is. Because he's got multiple identities laying right in front of him. On one hand, it was a complete bummer because, like I said, he still doesn't know who he is at this point. On the other hand, it is kind of cool, isn't it? Because he could be whoever he wanted to be at a certain time. If he wanted to be a French from France, he could be a French guy. If he wanted to be from Germany, he could be a German. He could be from America. And he would have every right those citizens have. If he gets in trouble with the law, he can sim- simply change his identity must have been pretty nice. But I wonder if we sometimes do that in our life. I wonder if sometimes we uh, are different people depending on the situation we're in. Our, uh, maybe sometimes we're one person at home, one person at work, one person at church. One person with our friends, one person at our kid's school. Uh, We kind of change our identities just a little bit depending on uh, the situation that we're in. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing. I mean, you're one way with your friends uh, that you're not going to be with, say, your kids. But do we ever do that in our Christian life? Do we ever claim to be Christians when it's convenient for us. But then when it's no longer convenient for us, do we go into the lockbox of our heart and exchange that identity with the identity of something completely different? And if we do that, if that's how we live, what are the implications of that? What are the consequences of changing our Christian identity out depending on the situation we're in? And maybe one more question. What does this have to do with the second commandment about misusing God's name? Because that's what we're focusing on today. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And what does this have to do with that? Well, thankfully for us, we get to look at Romans chapter 2 this morning. Paul wrote the letter to the Christians living in Rome around 57 A.D., uh, and he wrote, he'd never been there yet. He didn't start it. Somebody else started it. But he wrote there because uh, there was strife in the Christian church uh, because the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians there, were arrogant. And so Paul writes to them taking on their arrogance and pride. So we're in Romans chapter 2 today, and here's what Paul says. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Your first point today, the Jewish people had an identity problem. The reason the Jewish people were so arrogant is because they said, Look, we are God's chosen people. Out of all the nations in the world, God chose the Jews for two things. One, to bring the Messiah into the world. And two, God chose us to reveal His law to. God told us how we can please Him. God told us how we can gain eternal life. He didn't tell anybody else that. He told just the Jews. And so they were arrogant. And they said, this is who we are. We are God's chosen people. And Paul even identified them as that. Here's here's how Paul describes them. He says, if you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law and boast in God. In other words, the Israelites were saying, look, we rely on the law to get us to heaven. And we boast in God because God chose us. If you know His will... And approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. In other words, the Jewish people said, I approve of heavenly knowledge because I have heavenly knowledge because God gave us the law. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, the spiritual blind, a light for those who are in the dark, spiritual darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. This is who the Jewish people said they were. We're an instructor for the foolish. We're teachers of little children. We're spiritual guides for the spiritual blind. We're we're spiritual light for those who are in spiritual darkness because God gave us the law. This is who we are. We are God's chosen people to do these things. And yet they had an identity problem because they claimed to be God's child and yet look at what Paul accuses them of. You preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? All of those have an implied yes answer. This is how the Jewish people were living. They claimed to be God's chosen people, and yet... They pulled a Jason born and went into the lockbox of their heart. Uh, when it was convenient for them, they chose to be God's child. When it wasn't, they went in and exchanged it for something else. Whether it be no people were around, uh, whether it be they had a temptation, some passion, pleasure they wanted to, to go ahead and do, whatever it was, they chose They pick and chose when they wanted to be identified as God's chosen people, when they wanted to act like God's chosen people. And so my question for you is, what's your identity? Well, the Bible says that we are God's blood-bought children. You are God's child. Through Jesus' death on the cross, when He shed His blood, all of your sins were paid for in full. You are completely forgiven by God. And in your baptism, just like in Alexander's baptism this morning, God washes away your sin and He actually puts His name on you. And God says, you are now my child. You are part of my family. A citizen of heaven. And yet... Do we sometimes have an identity problem as well? Do, do we claim to be Christian when it's convenient for us, but when it's not, we go into the lockbox of our heart and pull out a different identity? Put that Christian one in for a little bit and pull out a different one? I think we all do. But we can ask some reflective questions, can't we? Do we... When we are at home or when we're at a friend's house and we're not driving, do we have one, two, three, maybe four extra drinks than we probably should because we're getting a good buzz going? We're getting a a, a little drunk and it's fun, even though we know that the Bible says drunkenness is a sin? In our conversations, do we use language where we misuse God's name and and say things like, oh my God, or I swear to God, or uh, when we're shocked, Jesus? Jesus? Do we misuse his name? On social media, what does that look like? What do our posts look like? What what articles are we sharing? What pictures are we posting up there? Are they giving glory to God or are they giving glory to me? Are we using language that Christians shouldn't be using? Are we being divisive on social media instead of encouraging one another? Do we have God's truth? and we know God's truth, God's word, and yet we don't want to cause any controversy, so we say, well, this is true for me, but it might not be true for you. As if God's truth is subjective and not objective. Do we say things like, well, this was written 2,000 years ago, and so we've advanced since then, and so that was that culture, but today's truth is a little different than that truth. Do we get a little arrogant ourselves because of our background? Born and raised in in the church, we know the Bible stories, we know what God's Word says, we we, we know them all, and, and we become a little prideful, a little arrogant, because we know it, and yet it doesn't reflect in our lives. When we look at our lives, we see foul language, we see wrong priorities, we see uh, all these things that a non-Christian would do, and it's in our lives. In our marriages, do do we build up and encourage our spouse? Do Do we talk well about our spouse to others? Or are we constantly complaining and cutting our spouse down? Do people know that we're Christians and, and we know the joy that we should have because Jesus has risen from the dead? Uh, he, he, God is taking care of every single one of our needs. He's not going to bring us to something that He can't bring us through. And we should have joy in our life and yet we do more whining and complaining than exuding joy and happiness because God is on our side. All of these things have the same problem the same thing that the Jews struggled with. It's an identity problem. We p- open up the lockbox of our heart and we exchange out identities. We say, I don't want to live like a Christian right now. I'm going to pull out this other identity. And we live like that. And you know what happens when we change identities? When we stop living like a Christian? God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles, among the non-Jewish people because of you. And that's your second point today. When God's people have an identity problem, His name is blasphemed. To blaspheme means to speak irreverently against God, to speak disrespectfully about God and His name. That's what to blaspheme means. Means. And, and Paul says, the Jewish people have this problem. You blaspheme God's name, you break the second commandment, when you don't live like God's child. And the same is true for us. Why? Because when we claim to be Christian, and yet we live differently, we are giving other people the impression that our way of, uh, of living is acceptable before God. That's the impression we're giving to people. And and, and we're giving God a bad name. We're representing God, and yet we're living like we don't belong to God. And we're misleading people about who God really is. And Paul says, when we do that, we blaspheme God's name. Last week, Ann and I, uh, we went to California. We went on vacation, and we had a great time. I want to tell you a story uh, from over there. Uh, Anne has a couple friends that are now my friends too, uh, and they're non-Christian. But the cool part is that they're they're very open and they want to talk about Christianity because they love philosophy and they they think Christianity is just another philosophical idea. Um, So we, we talk a lot. One of our friends has a roommate named Kim. Kim is currently going through a divorce. She's married to a pastor, uh, not a pastor in our branch of Christianity, a different branch, but she's married to a Christian pastor, and they've only been married for maybe half a year, and they're getting divorced already. Uh, The pastor has blown through all of their money. She's in major debt, and according to Kim, he told her that she has gained too much weight since they've been married, and he doesn't want to be married to her anymore. This is the pastor's third divorce. I almost didn't tell that story because inside of us, what are we thinking? This guy's a huge jerk. And we want to shake our heads and we want to judge that guy. Because what did he just do uh, to Kim? What impression of Christianity, what impression of God did he just give Kim, his wife? What impression of Christianity did he just give our friend, who's a non-Christian, who already doesn't believe in God, and now what did his actions just give her the impression of God? That this is okay? His name was blasphemed. And so my question is, what impression of God are we giving others? Because here's the thing. Whenever we open that lockbox of our heart and we switch out identities, we are blaspheming God's name just as much as that pastor is. Because we're giving people the wrong impression of God. And do you know what God says is the penalty, the, uh, the consequences of blasphemy? In Leviticus chapter 24, God says... Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. It's death. That is the punishment for blasphemy. For the times when we live like non-Christians and we give God a bad name. How does somebody respond when they hear that? When they get accused of blasphemy and the punishment is now death. How, how do you respond inside? You want to object, right? Throw up your hand and say, wait a second, let me justify myself. And Paul knows that the Jewish Christians in Rome are going to do that. And so, it, it, to wait and instead of sending the letter and waiting for them to send back and try to justify themselves, Paul just cuts their argument right in half. Here's what he says. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. Because he knew the Jewish people would go straight to, we've been circumcised, and I'll explain that in a minute. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Okay, so Paul knew what they were going to say. Look, but we're circumcised, Paul. No big deal. The Jewish people were big on that because in, uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 12, God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, you, you are going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless all nations through you. It's through the Jewish family that I have chosen to bring the Messiah. And Abraham, or God gave Abraham a sign of this relationship, of this covenant, this promise from God. And he said, so that you know that you are part of this promise, part of my family, the, my chosen people, I give you circumcision, which seems like an odd sign. Um, But other cultures didn't really circumcise back then. And so this was distinct. And so people knew from this outward sign, it reminded them of God's promise that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And so the Jewish people here are going to say, Look, Paul, I know what you're saying, but I'm part of God's chosen people. Check it out, I'm circumcised. And Paul says, God's not interested in your outward signs. This was for you so that you knew you were part of the covenant. But guess what? Just because you've circumcised yourself doesn't justify you. That doesn't declare you righteous. Circumcision of the heart does. A, a pure heart, a clean heart is what God wants. And why is that necessary? Because Jesus said it's out of the heart that come evil thoughts, words, and actions. It's from our heart that blasphemy spews out into our actions. And so if the punishment for blasphemy is death, how come, and we've all blasphemed, how come the earth hasn't opened up and swallowed us? How come fire hasn't rained down from heaven and and completely smited us? Is it because God has just turned a blind eye? Is it because He doesn't care? No. No. Our punishment has already been taken. God's wrath has already been uh, poured out onto Jesus. When Jesus was on trial before the Jewish people, do you remember what he was accused of? Blasphemy. The Jewish people stood there and accused him of speaking irreverently about God. And yet, what do we know about Jesus? He was completely perfect. He gave God glory all the time. He he always spoke well of God and gave Him a good name. And yet, the Jewish people were absolutely right. Jesus was a blasphemer. Why? Because He went into your heart, into the lockbox of your heart, and He took your identity. And He stood before God, and He said, God, I am Stephen Apt, the blasphemer. And God said... You shall die. You shall die. And he went to the cross where God poured out his entire wrath on Jesus for being a blasphemer even though he was perfect but he took my identity and yours. And before he closed that lockbox of your heart, Jesus said, here's my identity. So we can now stand before God and say, God, I'm a forgiven sinner. I am perfect. I am holy because look, I have Jesus' identity. And God says, you are forgiven. And in your baptism, He has washed your sins away, He has purified your heart, made your heart clean, and He's written His name on you. Earlier, we, I baptized Alexander, and what I say? I baptize you into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we were wearing uh, jerseys, That name would be on the back of our jersey because that's our last name now before God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His name is written on us. And notice what Paul says. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. God praises you. And He says good things about you. I'm going to give you two two verses. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, A holy nation. God's special possession. For what what purpose? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God says you're His special possession. Isaiah 43. I will say to the north, Give them up. And to the south, Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You are God's sons. You are God's daughters because He has put His name on you. This is what God says about you. And so here's our third point, our take home today. Because God praised you first, praise God with your life. Martin Luther was a pastor in the 15th century in the 1500s, and he wrote a commentary on God's Word that we call the Catechism. Uh, it's, it's teachings. And here's what uh, he says about the second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by His name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. This week, make it a goal to call upon God's name in every trouble. Praise Him. Pray to Him. And give thanks to the one who praised you first. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You that You have put Your name on us. We thank You that You have baptized us into Your name and into Your family. We ask that uh, as we go out and live our life, that you help us to live a life for you that represents your name uh, so that other people may call upon it uh, and, and know that it is holy and perfect. In your name we pray. Amen.